I'm amazed that he would love me. I'm amazed that he'd save me. I'm even more amazed that he'd keep me. Amen. <laughs> but he knew what he was getting before he bought me. And uh, sometimes you don't know what you're getting when you buy something. And then you feel like, man, I didn't get back what I was hoping to get back out of this. But the Lord knew all of that. He knew every failure that I was going to make. And um, every time that I would let him down, he knew all of that. And yet he still loved me and he loved you enough to send his perfect, holy, righteous, lovely son, the Lord Jesus, to die for our sins. And um, that's the greatest love story you'll ever hear. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I still believe in a whosoever gospel. Amen. I believe anybody can get saved. I believe that Christ died for the sins of the world. And uh, that it's his will that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. I believe it's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And I'm thankful for the day, August 10th, 1995, as a lost preacher's kid, I came to repentance. And I turned from my, my own righteousness and whatever I was trusting in, and I turned to Christ. And, uh, you know, when I got saved, I was sick of my sin. Amen. I don't know if you were sick of your sin or not, but I was sick of my sin. I want, listen, I wanted to be pure. I wanted to be washed. I wanted to be clean. And, um, I mean, I wanted heaven, too. I didn't want any part of hell. I'll tell you that for sure. You know, I was just tired of playing the game. Grew up in church, been in church all my life. Always heard the gospel. Always had it in my head that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Always had it in my head that he rose again the third day. Always had it in my head that if I'd call upon him, he'd save me. But having it in your head is not enough, my friend. With the heart, man believeth unto, unto righteousness. Amen. And I'm thankful for that day, August 10th, 1995. We're in a camp meeting. Anybody ever been to a camp meeting? Okay, a lot of you. We're in a camp meeting in Virginia. We just got done singing, me and my brothers and my mom. We went and sat down. I was under heavy conviction. And, um, and the preacher got up and preached. And uh, I don't even know what he preached on. It was somewhere in Timothy. But I was under conviction from the night before. And so the night before, the message from the night before was going over and over in my mind. And uh, let, let me just tell you something. Let me tell you something. Might, it might just, it might mess you up. I probably shouldn't tell you this. This will probably mess you up. The message that was preached that I got under conviction under, it was not rightly divided. Some of y'all, some of y'all, I lost you right there. You know what he preached? He preached 
Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. Since the days of John, the kingdom of heaven hath suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. That's what he preached. I got her in conviction to be saved on that message. And he was talking about, man, if you're going to get saved, you better, you better get serious about it and come to Christ. And he was talking about taking heaven by force. Not even rightly divided. But you know what? It's still the word of God. God still used it in my heart to bring me to a point where I knew that I was lost and I needed to be saved. That's the power of God's word. That's what happened to Ahab, you know. That's what happened to Ahab. He's out there in battle. He's all disguised, right? He's hiding. He said, boy, nobody's going to find me out. I've got, I've got this dumb king of Judah that wore my clothes to battle. They're all going to go after him, and I'm going to get off scot-free. But the Lord had told him through the prophet, you're going to die in this battle. He thought he could outsmart God. And the Bible says a certain, a certain archer drew a bow at a venture. And he's just like, man, I got one left. Got to get rid of this thing. I can't go back home with bows or with arrows left in the quiver. He just throws one out, boom, goes home. God takes that arrow like a heat-seeking missile. Boom! Right to A. Man, listen, you can be preaching on. I'm not even got to the message yet. I'm just kind of exhorting. You can be preaching on creation and somebody get under conviction. Get saved. That's the power of God's word. Amen. I'm just glad to be saved. Amen. I'm glad to be back in church. I'm excited to be here and uh, thankful for God's word. Well, we're in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Tremendous message last night. I was listening online and uh, good message on living by faith. Amen. That's how we live. That's what we've been hearing about all week long. And Lord laid it on the pastor's heart. Just continue with that theme. And there's good truth given last night in this place. And so we're going to continue to look at uh, this spirit of faith we've been looking at from 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and also from the life of Caleb. He's illustrating this spirit of faith for us in the scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I invite you to stand with me as we read our text beginning in verse number 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse number 13, and we'll read down through the end of the chapter. The Bible says, We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed, and therefore have I spoken. We also believe, and therefore speak. Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus, and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Look at verse 18. While we look not at the things which are seen. You ever thought about that phrase? 
we don't look at the things that are seen. That kind of doesn't make sense, but it does make sense. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We looked at the spirit of faith's victory on Sunday, and then Monday night we looked at the spirit of faith's voice. And tonight I want to look at, uh, consider this, the spirit of faith's vision. What does faith see? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the day. Thank you, God, for your grace upon us, your love toward us. God, thank you for saving our wretched souls. And uh, Lord, we're, we're, we're looking forward to the day when we can praise you without this robe of flesh that tries to hold us back. But Lord, uh, until that day, dear God, help us, enable us to praise you the way that you deserve and to, uh, to receive the truth and to live the truth in the days that we have remaining. We do look forward to your coming, and we do believe, Lord, that you could come at any time. So, God, help us to be ready. Help us to be faithful. Help us, dear God, to, to uh, uh, look at the, the Word of God tonight and this time. And, Lord, as we examine the spirit of faith and the spirit of faith's vision from this passage and from the life of Caleb, I pray that our hearts would be encouraged, Lord, that our, that our focus would be renewed upon you and upon your Word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. To look on things which are not seen. Have you ever thought about that phrase, that statement made in verse 18? While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. The idea of looking to is uh, looking to something in expectation or for direction. Or for instruction. We are to look to the Lord. Amen. We are to look to the word of God. Not just see it, but look to it. I think about uh, in, the, in the wilderness there when, the, uh, when they, uh, the children of Israel are being punished because of their unbelief. And there was fiery serpents there that, that were sent among the camp. And God made provision for the people who had been bitten by those serpents to look to that, uh, that brazen serpent. And if they looked to that brazen serpent, they would live. And what a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ and, as, and, and us as believers. We are to look to him to live. And uh, it's so easy to get our eyes upon that which is seen. The Bible tells us that we do not walk by sight, we walk by faith. You ever tried to walk with the lights out? Usually doesn't turn out too well, does it? These physical eyes, they need physical light, don't they? Where we mess up is where we try to conduct our spiritual life based on our physical sight. You need physical uh, sight to walk uh, uh, clearly in, in, in the physical realm, but you need spiritual vision to walk in the spiritual realm. And the, the life of the believer is a spiritual life. The Israelites were earthly people with earthly promises. We are a spiritual people with spiritual promises. 
And uh, though the Lord takes care of us on this side of heaven, we know that this is not our home. We're just passing through. You know, I was thinking about the spirit of faith's vision to be able to see which is unseen by these eyes, to believe the unseen. And I think about Caleb. Caleb kept a vision alive for over 40 years. You think, think, think about this, that's a long time to keep a vision. You know, you know what's the, the problem with churches today and many believers today? We have lost our vision. We've lost our vision. And we've allowed the difficulties of life to rob us of our vision. And uh, there's a story in, in, the, in the book of, uh, uh, first, or book of Judges about Nahash, the, the Ammonite king, coming down and besieging the, the city of Jabesh Gilead and saying, listen, we'll let you live, but the payment is you've got to give us one of your eyes. A couple other things they mentioned, but I think about that story, and I think about, you know what the devil wants to do? By the way, the, the name Nahash means serpent. You know what the devil wants to do? He wants to rob us of our vision. You know, when you only got one eye working, it knocks off your depth perception. You know what? A lot of churches today, they've given in to the devil's demand and they're losing their depth. They're shallow. They can't see straight. My father-in-law uh, lost vision in one of his eyes. And he and I, we used to golf together. We don't golf anymore. You know why? He can't hit the ball. You know why? The depth is not there. He can't see it right. He can't make that club hit that ball. The devil wants to rob us of our vision. Without the vision, listen, the people perish. Where there is no vision, the people perish. And it's not physical vision that we need. We need spiritual vision. We need the eyes of faith, and we need to live by those, uh, those eyes of faith. Uh, we're singing the song tonight, Blessed Assurance. Verse number two says, Visions of rapture. Now burst on my sight. You know who wrote that? A blind lady by the name of Fanny Crosby. Vision. What does she know about vision? She knew God. You know God, you know about vision. Amen? Now listen, when you think about faith, and the opposite of faith is fear in the scripture, walking by fear or walking by faith. And you know, when you think about this, fear can seem more reasonable because it bases its, its assessment of the future on what it sees. Okay, in other words, um, fear says, okay, I see this situation, and then I see this happening, and I see that happening, and most of the things that fear sees are things that haven't happened yet. Right? And so fear, fear sees the situation and fear says, okay, this is the best course of action based on what I see. Faith is the more reasonable option because its assessment of the future is based upon God and not 
sight. God's word and not events. Caleb lived a life of faith. You ever hear somebody say something about blind faith? I'm just stepping out in blind faith. I've never liked that term. I think I know what you mean when you say that, and I've said it before. I'm just going to go out in blind faith. Faith is not blind. Listen, faith isn't blind. Faith just sees what natural eyes cannot see. It's not that there's, well, I'm just stepping out in blind faith and I don't know what's going to happen and I don't know what I'm trusting. Listen, faith is believing God's word and living according to the word of God. It's not blind. Now listen, you may not know exactly what's going to happen. In the future, you may not know exactly what, what your choice is going to cause in someone else's life or even in your own life. But you do have the assurance that those that walk by faith, God will guide, God will lead. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust the Lord with all thine heart and lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct Thy paths. Thank God for that promise. Hey, just trust the Lord. Trust Him with all your heart. And so I just don't see how this is going to work out. You don't have to see how it's going to work out. Some of the biggest blessings in my life I never saw coming. But you know, and, and I'm sure that's true in your life too. But we don't focus on that. We just focus on all the all the big things, all the bad things that, that we didn't see ha- coming. Well, I didn't see that coming. And that, but, but what about all the blessings? Like getting twice as much for your truck is what you, what it's worth. Amen. Let's not forget those things. Caleb lived a life of faith, and and he had a vision. He had a vision. Hebrews 11, verses 1 and 2. Turn with me there, if you will. Let's read these. You probably know the verses, but we haven't turned anywhere else yet, so let's turn somewhere. Hebrews chapter 11. Look at verse number 1. I love this first phrase. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith is a substance. That means there's something to it. Right? It's solid. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith sees what you can't see, right? Look at verse 2. I've always wondered about this verse, and I'm going to give you my hypothesis. Verse 2, for by it, by what? Faith, the elders obtained a good, what? Report. Now, probably this is speaking about all the elders that they're about to talk about in in the following verses. But when I think of elders and I think of a good report by faith, 
my mind goes right to Joshua and Caleb. They obtained a good report. The ten spies, they gave a what? An evil report. Joshua and Caleb, they brought a good report. You know how they did that? By faith. They did it by faith. As we've established through the week, we know that the armies of the, of the nations of the Canaanites were stronger than Israel. They were better trained than Israel. They, had more, they, they were entrenched and behind great and walled cities. And so the, the evidence from what we, they could see, the evidence from what they could see is that they are stronger than us and we can't beat them. But Caleb and Joshua, they decided, listen, I'm not going to base my future on what I can see. I'm going to base my future on what God says. Three things I want to give you about the spirit of faith's vision. Number one, faith's vision is divine. It is divine. The vision that Caleb had was given to him by God. This is very important that we get this, that we understand this. This is not when Caleb says, you know, I'm going to go into that land, I'm going to get that mountain and all this. This is not Caleb's big plan that he's cooking up. This is what God has given to Caleb. And God has given him this vision. Listen, do you have a vision for your life? Do you have a vision for your home? Do you have a vision for your church and your community? Let God impart to you His vision for your life. And then just live according to that vision regardless of the circumstance. No matter how bad it looks. No matter how long you got to wait. Faith's, uh, faith's vision is divine. You know what faith is? It is a divine outlook on life. It is seeing life through the eyes of God. I want you to think about that. You know what God gives us in his word? The knowledge of himself. Well, I just I, I wish I knew about God. So I'm going to study archaeology. I'm going to study history. I'm going to study the stars. I'm going to study all this stuff. I'm going to find out about God. Study the book. Best way to get to know somebody is read their book. Is that right? When our, when our kids, when they start, you know, showing an interest, or somebody shows an interest in one of my daughters, you know what happens? Before they ever get any, they don't get a phone number. Is telling you, now get in the phone number. It's not happening. You know, we're just going to text. No, you're not. You know what we believe in? Good, old-fashioned, handwritten letters. That's where we start. Actually, where you start is you start writing me. Ain't that a joy? You got to write me because I need to find out about you before you can talk to her. 
Amen, preacher. That's good preaching. Hey, hey, we've, we've, we've dodged a lot of problems that way. Amen? Well, I just want, you know, we can get to know each other. Hang on. Let me get to know you first. But then, if you make it past that, not many do. When you make it past that, then you know how we start? Get, get a pen or a pencil. If you make a lot of mistakes, get a pencil. And a good old-fashioned notebook. Or if you want to make it fancy, it doesn't matter. And write letters. You know what I found? That's the best way to get to know somebody. You know what this does? How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. What are you doing? Nothing. What are you doing? Nothing. Boy, y'all are really getting to know each other, aren't you? You got to sit down. You got to think about it. You got to start writing. Oh, man. Uh, man. Look at this blank page staring back at me. Man, this, that's the way her and I started. You know, when her dad was so mean. I don't know how I'm getting on this, but I'm getting on it. Her dad was so mean. We started, I couldn't even call her on the phone at all. Like, not at all. And then after we started writing for a while, and, and, and he, I guess he figured I was, I was serious because I was writing letters. He said, you get, okay, I'm going to let you call her once a month. For 15 minutes. That's all I got. Of course, back in those days, it cost money to make phone calls. He didn't want me burning all my money on the phone calls. He wanted there to be some money left over to take care of his daughter, amen? And we got, listen, we got to know each other that way. She was way up in Canada, and I was traveling all around down here. My dad was an evangelist. How are we going to get to know each other? We started writing letters. You know what you find out? You get to know somebody when you read about them, when they write you a letter. Guess what God did? He wrote us a letter. You want, you want to know God? There's no shortcuts, friend. You've got to read his book. You know what you're going to do is you read the word of God and you read it with a heart to know God. He's going to give you a vision. You're going to start seeing life through his eyes. And that's what we need. Listen, that's what we need. We need to see life through his eyes. Faith's vision is, is, is uh, divine. Let me give you the second thing. Faith's vision is determined. It's determined. We mentioned already that Caleb had to wait over 40 years to see his vision come to fruition. But he never lost sight of that vision and he never, listen, he never got turned aside from that goal and from that vision that God had given him. You know what we have too much in these days? Too many quitters. I just need God to answer this prayer. Then pray. Well, I, I did. 
When you say, I did pray, you know what that means? I quit praying. Well, I did pray. Just keep praying. You know what Jesus said? Ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. And then he follows that up with, For everyone that asketh, receiveth. And to him that seeketh, shall find. And to him that knocketh, the door shall be opened. You know what that ETH means in that good old King James Bible? Just keep asking. Just keep seeking. Just keep knocking. Don't quit on God and don't quit on the vision that God's given you. Caleb, man, this guy just would not quit. He had a fire in his bones to do the will of God and nothing else would do for him. Look at, look at Psalm 27. Look at Psalm 27. We're going to get to Caleb here in just a little bit. We're going to look at some more scriptures before we do. Psalm 27. Psalm 27 is one of my favorite psalms. Say, well, preacher, I don't, I don't think we ought to have favorite psalms. You got favorite songs in the songbook? Well, this is a songbook, okay? We get to heaven, and I wasn't supposed to have a favorite song, then God can correct me. I love this psalm. Psalm 27, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I want, to, I want to read the first little part and then the last little part. Psalm 27, verse 1, The Lord is my light, in my salvation, whom shall I fear? That sounds like a life of faith, doesn't it? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Now, now in verse 2, he's going to start talking about the wicked. His enemies and foes, they came upon him to eat up his flesh. And, he, and he's going to have... You're going to have opposition. The life of faith is not an easy life, but it is a life worth living. And so there's all this opposition. He talks in verse number 10. He talks about his mother and his father forsaking him. But he says, then the Lord will take me up. Teach, my, teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path. Verse 11, because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. People can be cruel. False witnesses. David's facing all this, and he's faced all of it uh, numerous times. All this opposition. Look at verse 13. I had fainted. You know what that means? I just about quit. That's what he's saying. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I want you to focus in and think about this statement that he makes in verse 13. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He did not say, you say, what kept the psalmist from fainting? Uh, was it seeing the goodness of God? No, it was not. Seeing the goodness of, not, of God is not what kept him from fainting. Believing to see 
the goodness of God kept him from fainting. That means he didn't see it. Come on, you ever been in a place in your life and there's just so much opposition and so much trouble and so many questions that it was hard to see the goodness of God. It can happen. You know what you need to do when you can't see his goodness? You need to believe to see his goodness. See, the world says uh, seeing is believing. Is that what the world says? I'm not going to believe it till I see it. Well, if you have to see it to believe it, you don't really believe it. God says it's not seeing is believing. Believing is seeing. You believe it first, and then God brings that to your consciousness after you believe. Listen, we, we say we are, we, are, we are children of faith. We're the children of faith. Is that right? We walk by faith, not by sight. Faith is what pleases God, and it's impossible to please Him without it. If God has to show us His goodness before we'll believe Him, then we have not pleased God. The psalmist said, I believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You know what I believed? It was bad. Everything was, was There were false witnesses. There was accusers. My mom and dad forsook me. I've got enemies and, and foes all around me. And I could not see God's goodness. But I know even when I can't see the goodness. And I believe that one day he's going to take me through and I'm going to see his goodness again. And the Lord's up there in heaven saying, that's what I'm looking for. I'm just looking for someone to believe me. So he follows up this testimony with a word of encouragement in verse 14. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. And he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Listen, we have to understand some things. God is not required. He's not our genie in a bottle. He doesn't just jump whenever we say, I need something. I was listening to a song kind of, well, I was hearing a song today. One of the kids had a song playing. And it was about the Lord running to our aid every time we call. It sounds really nice and sweet, but it's not true. Listen, you'll find out. You learn a lot about God when you start having kids. If you're paying attention, you'll learn a lot about God when you start having kids. You know what we learn with our kids? It's not good for, for us or for them for us to run to them every time they cry. Come on. She's fed. She's clean. She's got everything she needs. You put her in the crib. You shut off the light. Ah! 
And you know what you feel like you should do? Well, I feel like I should run to her. Pick her up. Hold her. That's not the best thing for her. Amen. I mean, I'm not teaching a family conference here, but it's starting to feel like I might need to. Come on, give me some help here. It's not always good to get them out of that trouble that they're in or perceived trouble that they're in right away. You know what? This is one of the problems with our generation now. Nobody faces adversity anymore. And nobody has to work through adversity anymore. There's so many programs and so many outs, we don't, we don't have to worry about anything. We don't, learn, we don't learn to work through something. Man, give your child a job to do that they've never done before and don't go do it for them when they can't do it in the first two minutes. No wonder kids so helpless today and grown, grown adults, helpless. If you're 30 years old, sir, and you can't change the oil in your car, there's something wrong. Sorry. I defend you. Come on, learn to do some things. Go through some adversity. The Lord knows that it, it helps us. It builds us to go through adversity and hardship. He's not going to run to us every time we call. But in his time, he will make a way. When we need him to, he will come through. If you think Jesus runs to your aid every time you call, check with Martha and Mary about that. Hey, Lazarus, our brother, he's sick unto death. And Jesus said, okay, I'll be there when I get there. <gasps> Doesn't he care? Yes, he cares. But he has a better way than your way. And you're just going to have to believe him. You're just going to have to trust him on some things. Well, God disappointed me, and I, I thought he'd do this, and I thought he'd do that. Well, he is not your puppet. He's your heavenly father, and he knows better than you. I know it's hard for us to believe, but he's smarter than us. Amen. This is where trust comes in. And, and Caleb, listen, he was just determined. Patience. Patience. Wait on the Lord. You know, James chapter 1, verse 3 tells us that patience perfects our faith. But not only, look, just look at it here for just a minute. I'm, I'm trying to get through here tonight, but I didn't preach last night, so I got two, two nights worth here under my belt, loaded in my gospel gun. Um, look at James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Verse 2, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work. Look at this, that ye, 
may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. You see the power of patience? You know what God, listen, when God's trying to perfect us, and he's always trying to perfect us, is that right? And he uses different things, but one of the things he uses is temptations, trials, hardships, adversities. And in those trials, one of the things, the primary things he's wanted to teach us is to be patient. And then he gives us a little clue on the importance of patience. He said, let patience have her perfect work that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. But I realized we're not reaching perfection without patience. It's not going to happen. Why is patience so key? Why is it so important? Patience. When we have patience in God, that is pure faith. What do you mean, preacher? I mean this. When you have faith that God's going to do what he said he would do, and you really truly believe that, you can wait as long as you need to wait for it. Because you know God's going to do it because he said he was going to do it, and you have faith in God's word. And so you can wait. Why is it patience is so hard for us? Because our faith is not strong. That's why, that's why it's so hard. And listen, I am not by nature a patient person. I don't know many people who are by nature patient people. But there are some. My father-in-law is a patient man. You can tell that. He let me marry his daughter. He's just, he's a plotter. He just puts one foot in front of the other. He just keeps going. And he's patient. He's not in a hurry. I mean, we got, we got him a, a T-shirt years ago. said, too blessed to be stressed. He just doesn't stress about anything. I get stressed because he's not stressed. <laughs> Come on, Dad. Something's got to be done. Let's do something. He said, God's going to take care of it. I did not want to hear that. I wanted you to take care of it. And if you're not going to take care of it, I'll take care of it. not in a hurry because God's not in a hurry patience when you're listen when you have faith in God and you and you have faith's vision you can be determined to wait as long as you need to wait Caleb waited a long time to see God's to see his vision come to fruition in his life so faith's vision is, is divine. It's determined. But let me give you this one. It's definite. Faith's vision is definite. Go, go to Joshua 14. I told you we're going to get to Caleb here specifically. And so I want us to look here for just a few minutes here. You've been very patient, I think. You've acted very patient tonight. Amen. I don't know if you've been patient, but you've acted it. You've acted the part. Joshua 14.
And look at verse, uh, verse number 6 again. Joshua 14, verse 6. Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua and Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barnea. Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to espy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in mine heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said, these forty and five years, even since the Lord uh, spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness, and lo, and now lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old, as yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. As my strength was then, even so is my strength now for war, both to go out and to come in. Now therefore give me this mountain, whereof the Lord spake in that day. For thou heardest in the day how the Anakims were there, and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be, the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. You notice in this, in this account, Caleb's words here, he talks about the thing. He talks about um, uh, the word that was given uh, concerning me, he says. And, uh, and, and he talks about this word and this day and this mountain. Caleb understood that there was a specific place that God had promised him and Caleb would not settle for any other place. Are you listening? Caleb would not settle for second best. He would not settle for good enough. Listen, I, it's the spirit of Laodicea. You see it everywhere you go. People are just, hey, I'm good enough. The preacher's happy with me and my wife's happy with me and the kids are happy and everybody's happy and I'm doing enough. It should be good enough. I used to preach a, a message in, in the church I pastored. I preached it every year. Every year. Good enough is not good enough. All through the scripture, you, you, you see Daniel, and you see his, he had an excellent spirit. And this excellence, God is an excellent God. Don't just settle for good enough. Strive to be excellent in the fulfillment of God's will in your life. Don't settle. Tell our young people all the time. I tell my, I tell my, my girls, don't settle. Well, he seems okay. He's got a job. He's ahead of a large percentage of young men already. He goes to church. 
He seems to have a pretty decent relationship with his parents. All of those things are getting to be more and more rare. But that's not good enough. Amen. There's, I, I, I look around, I see some good young men. But I'm not just looking for good young men. I'm looking for godly young men. Godly. They have a heart for God. Not just a heart for the things that God can give him. They're seeking the Lord. Not just seeking the things that God can bless them with. Caleb, listen, Caleb wasn't going to settle. He said, yeah, yeah, it was 45 years ago, but I know the mountain. I know the place. I remember the day, and this is what God said through Moses to me, and that's what I'm going to have and nothing else. That's not being selfish, brethren. That's not being self-centered to want the will of God and to want all of the will of God. That is being God-centered. When you know it's God's will, you say, well, people are going to look at me and just think that I'm, you know, I'm, I think I'm, I'm, I'm holier than thou. Let them think whatever they want to think. You're not going to stand before people. You're going to stand before God one day. Amen. Caleb said, I want that mountain. This is the mountain that you promised me. Now, you know what that mountain was? It was Hebron. You see it here uh, in verse number 13 and 14. It says, Joshua blessed him and gave unto Caleb the son of Jephunneh Hebron for an inheritance. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the, the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, unto this day because that he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And the name of Hebron before was Kerjath Arba, which Arba was a great man among the Anakims, and the land had rest from war. So Kerjath Arba was the name of this place, but it, it got changed from that to Hebron. Now, if you know anything about Hebron, let me just give you a quick history lesson on Hebron. Hebron was where Abraham, Abraham was buried, and Sarah, and all the patriarchs. They're all buried there. It was, it, was, it was the land that Abraham, God gave to Abraham, and he chose out of all the places, he said, I want this to be my resting place. Hebron is going to go on to be a very important place in the history of Israel. David is going to be anointed king in Hebron. Did you know that? Hebron. Hebron is the oldest inhabited Jewish dwelling. The oldest. It all started there. And let me tell you something else about Hebron. This really blessed me about Hebron. You know what Hebron means? Friend. How did Hebron get the name friend? Well, maybe it's because of a man named Abraham who walked with God, and he was the friend of God. And Caleb said, that's the mountain I want. 
Now listen, there were giants there before, right? Sons of Anak were there. Giants, great and mighty men. But you know what? Israel had some giants there too. Giants of the faith. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And I'm tired of our inheritance going to the bad giants. Caleb said, Hebron, it's not Kerjath Arba. Oh, no. It's not named after them heathen. It's Hebron now. Abraham was the friend of God. I want to be the friend of God, too. That's the mountain that I want. What's so important about that mountain, Caleb? You can have any mountain you want. I want to be close to God. There's something special about this mountain and meeting with God. I want this mountain. It belongs to me. God. Dr. Don Green. I don't know if you know him or knew him. I don't care what you think about him. I loved him. He was a hero of mine. He walked with God. He walked with God. And he used to say all the time, you are as close to God as you want to be. Oh, boy, I wish I could just get closer to God. You can get closer to God. Well, I wish I could have that relationship with God like those old preachers of old used to have. Man, the pastor, well, I wish I could be as close to God. You can be as close to God as they are. You can be closer to God than they are. You can be as close to God as you want to be. You say, preacher, what is it? going to take you're just going to have to get your eyes set upon that mountain and say it belongs to me and by faith I'm going to receive it I'm going to walk God I'm going to live in victory I'm going to keep my eyes on the Lord I want to be his friend we sing the song Jesus what a friend for sinners isn't that a great song Jesus is our friend. What a blessing. How about us being his friend? I want to be his friend. I want to live in Hebron. That mountain. You know, every time you, you see a mountain in Scripture, when it's connected to God, it's, it's getting people closer to God. Now, in, in, in Genesis 11, you know what they, they, they tried to do? They tried to manufacture their own closeness to God let's build a tower in a city that will reach up to heaven now God listen that's man's work that mountain that's God's work why don't you say tonight by faith you know I'm just going to get my eyes on that mountain that God's promised me I'm going to get a vision of my walk with God and a friendship with God and I'm not going to let the things of this world or the giants of this world or anything else get in my way. I'm going to get close to God. Say, what does it take? It takes faith. It takes faith. Let's stand together. Heavenly Father, help us, Lord, to get our eyes on you. Help us to be determined 
the face of conflict and opposition. And we're just going to keep marching toward that, that mountain, that inheritance, that possession that you promised us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to view this life through your eyes as we read your word and study and meditate upon it, submit ourselves to its authority in our lives. It will have a clearer vision of what you want for us and what you want to do through us. God, help us by faith to set our affection on things above and not on things of the earth. Give us that vision. Help us to receive your vision for our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.